Welcome to the Encourageous Podcast. My name is Angel Clark, and I'll be your host. Everyone goes through difficult things in life, but it takes a special type of person to use their pain to help others. That's exactly the kind of people you're going to hear from here on Encourageous. Each episode will tell the story of someone who not only survived their struggle, but is thriving. Join us for vulnerable, firsthand testimonies that will inspire you to press on. Get ready to be encouraged. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Encourages podcast. I hope you have all been doing well in your daily lives amidst all the craziness that we have going on in our world. Um, I do this podcast bi-weekly on Thursdays, so if you have not already, if you could subscribe, that would be wonderful. Just basically, you just get a notification for every time I publish a new episode. Um, and if you have Spotify, you just hit follow, and it's the same thing. So that's basically, if you could do that, it would be super helpful, just so this little little piece of encouragement get out into the world. Um, but anyways, moving on. So today I have a very, very, very special guest and I've known her for, I was trying to think about this earlier. I think it's going on 12 years. That's what I was trying to do the math. Like I sat there and I was trying to do math the other day and apparently like I had in my dream, I was doing math too. So yes. Yeah. So I'm trying, I think it's 12 years we've known each other, but either. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Decade, if not more. So mm-hmm. I want to introduce you guys to my amazing friend Charlene. So Charlene, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so if you don't mind, can you just give us a little quick bio about who you are? Uh, well, like you just mentioned, my name is Charlene. <laughs> um, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, um, where then we moved to Florida, because my dad, Air Force. Then I got married to my wonderful husband, John. Uh, who's in the army then because of that we've had to move around quite a bit we do have a lovely little dog Isabel who's like my daughter or like our daughter I should say and yeah I mean I I love to eat a lot (laughs) and um, the beach is one of my favorite places in the world and um, yeah that's just that's me (laughs) that's awesome um, I wish you hadn't said food because I forgot to eat lunch before this. And so I'm I am so sorry. After you said that, I'm like, my mouth is watering over here. I'm like, dang it, Charlene, why? Why food? But anyways, that's enough about that. So as I said, we've been friends for an undetermined amount of years, but... I'm pretty I, sure it's 12. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 12. If I'm not mistaken, I think we met in 2008. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then it's 12 years. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So we were right on track. Um, so just... For knowing you for so many years, we've been through with each other through a lot of the ups and downs of life and all that stuff. So I've been privy to watch your journey and it's been incredible. But for anyone who doesn't know you, would you mind just kind of starting and, you know, just telling us your journey with MS that you've been on? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, for first, for anyone who doesn't know what MS is, it's a neurological condition that um, it's your own immune system just basically attacking your your body. It's like your body at war with itself, and it's your immune system just attacking like the coating that's around your nerves, which is called the myelin sheath. So it's just it's wonderful <laughs> just to you know just to kind of be at war within yourself without even knowing it, and um, 
yeah, so when I was 17, um, I started to have symptoms without knowing, because <laughs> I did, at that point, I didn't even know what MS was, yeah. you know, even when the doctor at, at eventually told me what it was, he's like, you have multiple sclerosis, and I'm like, can you speak English? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what you're saying, so I, I literally walked out of the office, like, perfectly, like, I'm confused without any sadness or I, I I was just literally confused and I just went home and did a lot of research just because I did not understand what he was talking about but so when I was 17 I just started having symptoms that I did not understand and I just kept ignoring because I didn't know what was happening and I just had a lot of which is always for some reason most of the stuff that happens to me is on the right side but um it was in my my head the back of my head my neck and my arm it was just painful numbness which I know kind of contradicts itself because it's numb why, why do you feel stuff but it, it was just very painful and so I went I, it just kept happening kept happening while I was at work while I was at school while, and then when I was driving and when I was driving that's when I got really scared and I'm like this isn't cool so I went to my primary care and asked her and I was like hey this is happening and she was like you probably have a pinched nerve um, let's just do, you know, the studies and everything to see what's going on. They tested me for all that and it came back negative. And so then she was like, okay, well, we'll keep an eye on it and everything. A short time after that, I started having seizures, grandma seizures. My parents, thankfully, the dog, like the dog that we have in my house, um, the black lab we have over there, um, she alerted my parents of me convulsing in, in, in the floor and they came and, and helped me out so fast forwarding I ended up in the hospital um and then with the imaging that they did they were like I'm guessing they you know know when when they see you know the lesions in your brain which the lesions are just the scar of the body attacking the nerves the, when they see that they're just like she needs to see a neurologist like now yeah um because it was just so so aggressive and so we were like, okay, we, we're at this point, we're still just confused about it all. So I get to, to the neurologist and he is so amazed at what he's seeing because of my age at that point. So he starts doing all kinds of tests because in all these types of conditions, they all kind of camouflage one with the other. So it's kind of confusing to know which one you have. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while to just diagnose. So he, he, he didn't want to misdiagnose me. And so he, he took a while and made sure he, he was doing the right tests and everything. And it took about six months of him doing testing. And at the end, he was like, I, I can't come up with any other conclusion. Like, this, this is it. I'm so sorry. And that's when he was like, you have, and he was like, multiple sclerosis. And I was like, I don't know what you're saying, man. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Um, I was about... 18 at that point in time and he was like but I still want you to get a second opinion and he suggested that I would that I should go to the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville and everything he did in six months they did in two days it was, it was not fun at all so they they were like yeah no like it checks out you have you have a mess and so we just kind of kept we went back to to the doc to the neurologist and he said that you know, he's a neurologist, but he's not an MS specialist. So he was like, go get, go to see an MS specialist. And so we did. At that point, we didn't know too much about it. So we just picked 
the first one kind of we saw in Google, basically. And he put me on a medicine called Rebif, which is a self-injection that I have to give myself three times a week. And not too long after that, this was about when I was, you know, 19-ish, I... I don't remember too much of how this happened. This is how I, I was told that it happened. I went in again to see my primary care and I was told that I was trying to talk to her and that I wasn't making any sense, that they couldn't understand me. And that again, my right side was completely down, that I could chew, I couldn't swallow. Then she directed me to the ER. They just kept saying that it looked like I had a stroke and it, it was just a mess. My arms weren't working that well. It took about a few days for my arms to come back. Same thing for the chewing and the swallowing. And then, but the legs took the longest time to come back at that point. It took about nine months, I think, for, for my legs to come back in, in that relapse. And then uh, I got married and, and, and all that. So, so that, that, was, that was fun. <laughs> And they switched my medication to uh, stronger medication, which was called Isabri. I also switched doctors to somebody who was trying to, I guess, look out a little bit more. Then after I got married, we I moved to Texas, and I there's different relapses, is what you know, which I wasn't really too aware of. What to me, a relapse, at least in my mind, is if you can't walk or use your arms. The doctors always tell me a relapse is also Something like what happened to me when I was in Texas, which was in Elias, which is, you know, your intestines aren't able to move. Mm. It, everything's kind of done by your nerves. Yeah. So if, you, if your nerves aren't functioning correctly, then things are going are gonna to stop moving. Yep. So but because the Elias happened, that's technically considered um, a relapse, even though in my eyes, I'm like, you got it, you know, move it again. So. I don't know. I didn't really see it that way, but I guess it was a relapse. And um, then when we moved to um, Hawaii, I had um, optic neuritis, which was the nerve behind my eye slowly swelling up, um, which was extremely painful. That was also um, a relapse. I was on uh, steroid medication for that as well for a while. And that was also a relapse, which I, again, didn't consider because I could walk and moved just fine um and I started having seizures again while I was over there and they then the the neurologist over there switched me to just a newer different uh, seizure medication and at that point he started mentioning that he 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 was noticing how aggressive my my MS was and he was he was like you're kind of borderlining relapsing remitting because there's different stages of MS, there's relapsing remitting, secondary progressive, primary progressive, and, and, and so on. So he, he, he was saying that my MS was so aggressive that he was like, you're kind of in the secondary progressive stage of, of MS, but he just kept kind of kept saying it, but he was hesitant to kind of put it in, in the books, basically. So it was, then we ended up moving because of the mm-hmm. army. And, yep. um, he, well, that's kind of where that ended up. And then we moved again, or we ended up moving. And as I wasn't, I was unpacking in Tennessee and that's where I ended up having my latest relapse, which was, I would say the worst one of all, 
which uh, took about two years for me to to overcome that that relapse which it was my arms my legs it, it was just I don't know it was just horrible and the start of that it, I had 104 fever which I've never had before which I know it's common now because of COVID but back it, two years ago it was just very weird um, but I didn't feel like I had a fever I was fine the whole day and then I started I could I couldn't get up out of the couch so I started to freak out because I couldn't move then I started I felt like scolding hot and then freezing cold within seconds of each other. It was just a mix of, of things that I, I couldn't understand. I had never felt before, even though I've had all these relapses, they were all so different. And so it's just so confusing. Yeah. So then, you know, you go through all this, then we were in Tennessee for a while, the insurance stops paying for your, you know, for everything that you're trying to do for your therapy and everything. We end up moving to Virginia Beach and the insurance is still not wanting to pay. So we just have to, you know, you gotta keep on trucking, you know? Yes. And so, but thankfully the, we were able to, to get me into a great place here and, and they were able to help me out and the therapy team was, was wonderful and great. And I'm, I'm back at it. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully it doesn't, cause you know, if, if I was thinking about, I, I hadn't thought like sat down and looked at it all but it has kind of been slow like kind of going down like everything started small not small but going from from medium to to worse I guess I don't know or from I, I don't know how to put it so that it, at least how it felt for me yeah so I don't know it's just and then there's also days that you know you wake up and your balance feels your balance just feels off. I feel like my face feels a little numb and things like that, but it's just kind of roll with it. So yeah, and I think something I want to touch back to was um, you talked about you were only seventeen or eighteen when you got diagnosed. What mm -hmm. is the? Because I don't remember the exact number, but I'm certain that the age of people typically get diagnosed is like somewhere in middle age. What what is the typical age? Yeah, and that's something that I. When I when I got diagnosed, every doctor that I would go to, they're like, "You're so young, you're so young." People usually get diagnosed when they're in their forties, forties and fifties, forties and fifties, forties and fifties. That's that's all I heard. So a few days ago, I was double checking that because I'm like, "What's the average age that people do get diagnosed?" So I looked it up, uh, like I said, a few days ago, and the average age is 34, but the big range that was documented within 2020 was between 20 years old and 50 years old, which is a huge wow, range. It, exactly. I'm like, that's just too broad, which is why the average is 34. But I, I don't know. I, I think it's just because, you know, within since I got diagnosed, which was almost 12 years ago, it's just everything has sped up so much. Science has just improved so much. So it's just a lot more people are getting diagnosed, I'm guessing. So Yeah, um, I, feel, I think that's also even with like, I think about autism or mental mm -hmm. disorders. I think that so often many, many, many people struggled with, you know, either they were autistic or they had depression or whatever gamut, you know, it could run the gamut. It could be anything, but back, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, even like they just weren't getting diagnosed. Whereas now, if you would take some of the people like back then and put them in today's time it, in a heartbeat that have been like, oh, this person is struggling with that. It's just, we're more aware now. So like yeah. you 
the numbers would the numbers would be totally different. Yep, I agree with that too. And then there was another thing I really wanted to touch on too was um, you talked about getting married. You know, and your husband. I obviously know him, and he is amazing. I just think he's one of the most wonderful people in the world. But can you kind of talk about what that's? Because essentially, you've. I mean, you were such a young teenager when all this happened. You've pretty much grown up through this process of like you know married you like you're out on your own and stuff because you were still living with your parents you know you were in college and stuff but you were kind of under your parents umbrella and you've gone out and now you're like I said you've moved all over the country and stuff so can you talk about maybe what it's been like kind of growing with your husband and you know maybe some of the challenges that he's faced as a supporting role to you in this yeah so for example the first in first big relapse is what I, I call it um, when I was in the wheelchair and everything. I, I used it kind of as motivation to, cause I was engaged in the relapse. He, you know, we were planning to get married without his, like he didn't know every, okay. All the doctors and everybody told me that I would never walk again. Yeah. So I, you know, they, they gave me everything like preparing me to never ever walk again. And I was like, it, it, it was almost like a dare to me. Like, you're, you're telling me that I'm never going to walk again. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Let's you wait. know who you're talking to. <laughs> so then, you know, we get engaged and I'm like, I made it my mission to walk down that aisle. Like, that was my goal. I'm like, I'm going to make this happen no matter what. So I, I just, I started working and working and working towards it. And it was just like, like this. And I, I feel like that's something that, it's good to have like just always focusing on a goal and just going at it and going at it and going at it. And I think it was, it was just great that first of all, like he wanted to marry me whether I was able to walk or not. <laughs> so yeah. I thought that that was great to begin with, but I'm like, I'm going to walk. Don't worry. <laughs> like, I'm going to make this happen. So I think that that was just great. And he's, been, he's stuck by me. Like even like with all these up and downs and you know, like he's been with me in the hospital like all kinds of nights and craziness and not a lot of people would <laughs> would do all this and you know had to, he's had to feed me he's had to you know basically take care of me like I'm a baby and it's just there's not a lot of them out there like that so that's true because I know I have some friends who are single moms and I think about how their partner at the time just up and left first yeah. For really, I mean, when it comes down to it, for selfish reasons, but, and then, and then you put that up side by side with John, and it's like, oh my gosh, it like gives me a whole new appreciation for like the good partners out there that are, mm -hmm. you know, he sat in the hospital with you, like you said, I mean, he's carried you, I remember in your engagement photos, he actually carried you. Yeah, because so I was in, I was still, the, I still needed a walker at that point, so he, for the engagement pictures, like he, uh, just made sure that he was like my walker there so that I could stand uh, and but making it look like <laughs> it was it was like all lovey-dovey <laughs> yeah and so I think that's just so like I love that and also because um, my husband has an aunt who's in a wheelchair she's mm -hmm. paralyzed from the belly button down and same thing with them her husband is a saint like he helps her in any way anytime she has surgery he takes off work and like helps her so I think that's such like a good quality is someone who's so steadfast and no matter whether you're having good times or bad times, hard times, he's always there. So I feel like that's, you know, that's probably, he's been like a rock for you. Don't you think? Yep. 
I totally agree. And he's always like, I, I sometimes forget about certain things because stress is another big, big stress and anxiety, big, big, big things that just affect me and, and really any MS patient. And he's always like, no, 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 like calm down, like watch this, watch that. And so like, if I forget certain things, like he like, like, like almost like fact checks me, you know, he's just like, Hey, Hey, calm, calm it down. Like, watch this, watch that. Like, so I don't know. I just, I think I, I couldn't be more blessed really. <laughs> I got lucky in more, more ways than I feel like I should have. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's definitely a good, I think that's so important with any of the, the tough things in life is that obviously all of us at some point in our life are going to go through something that, you know, for lack of better words, sucks. Like we're going to go through mm-hmm. life that's so hard, but something that makes it a little more bearable is having a good support system. Cause I can say that in my own life too, stuff that we've been through is that yes, it was terrible. And I wouldn't wish the pain on even my worst enemy, but having that core group of people that sees you through it makes it you know, a little bit easier to even get through it. I agree. So definitely we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but so during your relapses, when maybe some of your low coins, can you talk about just some of the, you know, the turmoil that that brought, like maybe how you were mentally, like, did, did you notice a correlation between like your mental state and your physical state? Was there any sort of, you know? Yeah. So I, I know when, when, you know, you, you see yourself, you know, like this and everything, it's just, it, it's, it sucks. It's not fun. Cause you know, you want to go out, you want to do this, you want to do that. Thankfully for me, and I know this is not the situation for everybody. So it, it's just, like I said, I, I got lucky in that sense, but for example, I have John, he will literally put me in his back and just carry me to wherever I couldn't go. Or like, for example, I, you remember when we were in Tennessee, like he, that wheelchair through the stairs, like, it's just like, I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, just, just to get, let me back up real quick. Let me give everybody some context. We, in Nashville, we went to the Country Music Hall of Fame. And if you've ever been there, there's this huge spiral staircase. Well, my husband decided to take our double stroller with my two children and clunk down every single stair. And so, of course, John, at the time, you were in a wheelchair. John was like, I'm taking Charlene. So in your wheelchair, he hopped you down every step, too. So, yeah. No, that's definitely, um, just because I want people to get a mental picture of what, who well, we're talking about. It wasn't, I know that can't be easy. Like, that cannot be easy because the wheelchair was not, you know, too light. And with, then with me on there, too. And it, it was just, like, he will do just do stuff like that. He When we went on vacation to New York to his, his aunt's house, she lives on the fifth floor. No elevators. Yeah, no elevators. I'm in the wheelchair. And he... He left the wheelchair in the car, but he literally just carried me and Isabel, like our dog, at the same time up the stairs to hey, the fifth well, floor. The army training comes in handy, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, at this, I'm like, I have to thank the army for training him <laughs> through all like the rough marches and everything he can do. I'm like, this is paying off. It's like in boot camp when they make him carry that big backpack with all their supplies. Yeah, yeah, the ru- yeah, the rucksack. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It was very, uh, you know, thank you, U.S. government, for preparing John for yep. so much yep. <laughs> without even knowing it. Without um, even knowing it, everything just somehow worked out. <laughs> yeah. And I guess my other question would be, in your low points, can you kind of, because the way I'm thinking of it is if maybe there's someone out there right now who 
just got diagnosed with MS or somebody who's been like, has had it for a while and they're relapsing, or maybe even to the point of like John, where you're supporting someone who has MS. Can you kind of talk about maybe some of what's brought you through, or maybe give like tips about what, you know, anything in your life that has kind of helped you through the tough, tough times? I, I think that for anybody that, for example, just got diagnosed, or even if they have been diagnosed for a while, but is having a hard time, my opinion is like, don't get like closed in don't close like don't close people out just make sure you stay positive no matter what I know it can be hard at times but fighting that is one of the biggest thing like one of the one of the best things you, you can do like just make sure you stay active even if you can't physically stay active but active in the sense of being social instead of just staying in because you can't go somewhere because you're in a wheelchair, because you're this, because you're that, mm. like, just go out, do whatever you can do. Yeah. It, like emotionally, it, it's very, very beneficial. And having, for example, there's MS support groups, like being a part of that, that's very, very helpful. Like you, you, there might be people there that have advice or suggestions for doctors that you don't know about or suggestions for insurance problems that you might be having that they might are also struggled with or you know just little things like that yeah just I don't know like when I was in Florida I I was a part of a few support groups and I, I think that helped a lot like when I was getting married and, and leaving they gave me gifts and stuff and Aww. so it, it was it was really cute and so I, I don't know I just think it, it's great or if you're a reader there's a lot of books yeah. um that are very helpful there's just I don't know and then another thing that really helped me but I then again I, I love music through every big relapse like that first one that I was in a wheelchair and then the second one there's always just been like that one song that's just like kind of put me through it and there's music is something that helps me tremendously but that's just that again that's me so everybody should find something that helps them like that but I, I think there's actually there's research to that that music helps things because there's literally it's called music therapy mm -hmm. literally mm -hmm. therapy that you know they they either allow you to play music or they play music for you so I, I think that's good just for like you said yeah, I, I've always used it like I, I have a song that I or it, and, and tight and styles of music and everything that I I hone on to like through everything and I don't know it's just kind of helped me come through hurdles and, and things and just change my mentality if I'm if I'm feeling down or if I'm feeling you know yucky or whatever you want to call it and just just really it's it's a matter of overcoming how how you're feeling it's just having that inner power I guess just just overcoming no matter what just keeping that because honestly like after, if you're if you go to your if all your doctors are telling you you're never going to walk again you're what are you going to do you're just going to lay back and be like okay i'm never going to walk again it's just you got to have that inner strength that inner power that inner will like you just gotta push through it all like i don't know you just gotta push yourself through <laughs> through everything yeah I think it was kind of the same thing now with this last one like yeah i, I don't know i just think if you if you want it if, if you believe you can achieve <laughs> you know you, you gotta just push through it yeah I think there's a word for that um I read this book and it talked about it I think it's called like grit yeah 
it's basically like this, just this innate quality in someone that no matter what life throws at them, they won't give up. I think the term is great. I'm pretty sure I read about that, but it's basically, and so I feel like you've, you've exhibited that and you're pretty much, you're like a living testimony. Like, Hey, look, they literally, I remember this. Cause I remember for your, um, your bridal shower, you came up there in a walker. And then next thing you know, for your wedding, you walked down the aisle. So like, I've seen it come full circle of like, I've seen you in the wheelchair. And then every time you were able to get back out of it. And I feel like that's such a, a cool thing because something so I love how Curtis's aunt in the wheelchair what she says we all have wheelchairs but you can just see mine because there's people who maybe have like a mental block and that's their will you know quote unquote wheelchair there's there's things that hold us back in life and hers happens to be like she can't move her legs but you could have a, a spiritual you know you could have a spiritual yep. wheelchair or you could have a mental wheelchair or an emotional one so I feel like that's that's cool that you're your testimony of someone who has been you know, you've come from the lowest of lows and you're able to always get out of it because that, that's so encouraging to people, you know, especially maybe someone who has MS and you, you're, you're what they needed to hear today. Yeah, you just gotta, and, and it's really just combining everything you have. Like, it's, it's also, like, for example, for me, like, obviously, I, I'm a true believer, like, I'm, I'm a Christian. So I had, every, like, so many different people praying and everything. But I, I also feel like if I have all these people praying for me, but I myself don't don't believe and don't you know I have all these tools but I don't use them then it's it's all for nothing like I need to me myself also want what I'm being given yeah no I love that that's that's good advice too like I I feel like so much of what you've been saying can go for any you know anything in life so kudos to you for just being you win you win at life all right (laughs) So yeah, um, I think I could keep going. There's so much more I could say, but just, you know, I'm sure people listening to this have lives too and they have to get on. So we'll cut it off here for today, but maybe I'll bring you back on just to, you know, give a little, little more zest another time. So thank <laughs> no you worries. so much for being so open and honest and yeah, yeah, of course. With us and keep, keep being such a warrior. You are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Thank you everybody and catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Encourageous Podcast. I hope today's story left you feeling encouraged and inspired. Come back every other Thursday for a new episode and be sure to subscribe. Your support makes a world of a difference, especially for a new and bi-weekly podcast like this one. If you want to connect with me on social, you can find me on both Instagram and Facebook at The Encourageous Podcast. Until next time, stay encourageous. Courageous.